Hello, everybody. Welcome to the first ever podcast from the team here at IMB Imaging. Thank you very much for joining us. As some of you may know, we are now, I like to think, reasonably well used to running webinars. Um, but podcasting is a completely new experience for us. So whilst we're very excited to be doing this, um, please be patient. If it seems a little unpolished, I promise we will improve. We'll get there eventually. My name is Ben Sullivan and you're listening to Focal Point, the veterinary imaging podcast from IMV Imaging. The aim of this podcast is just for us to have a chat about all things imaging in veterinary practice from everywhere around the world. And if you have any ideas for things you'd like to hear discussed or perhaps guests you'd like us to have on the show, we would love for you to get in touch and let us know about them. We can't promise we'll be able to cover all suggestions or get all guests, but we'll do our best. And you'll find our contact details in the show notes uh, on whichever platform you're using to listen to the show. So please don't hesitate to have a look at those and get in touch. First of all, then, I'd like to introduce my co-hosts, Sam Mocklin and Kat Evans. Kat graduated from the University of Portsmouth with honours for her BSc in radiography all the way back, for those of you who can remember this far back, uh, in 1995. Um, and initially, Kat worked as a human radiographer, but then she saw the light and she moved uh, into veterinary radiography in mid-2000s. And after a period of time setting up the uh, CT and MR services at one of the leading veterinary orthopaedic centres in the world. Uh, Kat then, fortunately for us, made the leap and came across to BCF as we were then. And uh, that was more than 11 years ago now. So a quick aside for you, uh, for those of you who don't already know, um, BCF merged with ECM, Echo Control Medical, and IMV Technologies, both French companies, uh, back in late 2017 and it was that merger that led to the formation of IMV Imaging. So um, for those of you who remember BCF, uh, that's uh, that's where we came from. CAT provides vital support to our customers and staff for is it anything x-ray uh, and advanced imaging related. So advanced imaging, we're talking CT, MR, uh, fluoroscopy and so on. Hello CAT. Hi there, thanks for the intro Ben. I will admit that, as you've mentioned, um, how long ago I did my degree, but my actual degree dissertation was done on an Amiga computer, which really shows my age. Um, <laughs> Fantastic. Leading on to our colleague, Sam, who's one of the vets in the clinical team here at IMV. He's been with the business since the spring of 2019. Prior to joining the team, he spent more than 12 years in clinical practice, initially working in a mixed setting and then more recently in small animal practice. Sam performs a key role running many of our ultrasound courses. He produces some really amazing educational resources in partnership with our marketing team and also assesses and configures new products. So part of the very important NPI process that we try and run. He also supports our customer base with clinical and technical inquiries and probably a few other things I've forgotten to mention. So over to Sam. 
Thanks, Kat. Um, hi, it's nice to be here and uh, for this first podcast. I think that probably leaves me um, to introduce Ben properly as well. So uh, Ben is also one of the clinical team vets. He spent uh, nine years in mixed and equine practice before joining BCF at the beginning of 2014. And he now splits his time before leading the clinical team sales advanced technical support um, for our ultrasound customers, doing some research and development for our ultrasound products and many other bits and pieces besides. Thanks very much, Sam. And thanks to Kat for, uh, for your, uh, your introduction there as well. So um, I think without further ado and with the introductions done, we can get on with the show. So in our first episode, we decided to take a look at artificial intelligence in veterinary practice. Uh, this is something that uh, holds huge uh, potential for the future. And um, I think it's always good to start these things at the, at the beginning and, and really look at it at a, at, a, at a sort of fundamental level. So probably Ben might be able to give us a bit of a, a, an, an introduction to the subject by, by just telling us what, what artificial intelligence actually is. Thanks, Sam. Yeah, I absolutely makes sense. Um, I think sometimes it's one of those things, you know, it's a, it's a kind of buzz topic at the moment, isn't it? And it, it seems to permeate all aspects of our life, uh, you know, not just work and, and not not just for those people involved in veterinary practice, of course, but um, it's it's kind of everywhere now. In the broadest sense, the term really just means um, any human-like intelligence or sort of human level of intelligence exhibited by by a computer or or, or a another uh, device, but but typically a computer. Uh, and it's it's not a new concept. I think it's easy for us nowadays to perhaps sort of think, oh, you know, artificial intelligence, it's it's kind of this modern technology. Um, actually, the first recognized work that's kind of, you know, broadly accepted or widely accepted as being, um, I guess, the kind of starting foundational idea of artificial intelligence was um, was a paper published in 1943, um, which was a, a mathematical model actually of how uh, neurons or a network of neurons might um, pass information amongst one another. And then um, uh, more than a decade on actually in 1956, the summer of 1956, the very first um, uh, sort of recognized uh, academic discussion, if you like, a conference, in fact, uh, was held at Dartmouth College in, in the US um, over a couple of months uh, in the summer of, of 1956. And they, they sort of started to expand on, on some of the earlier ideas and, and, and I guess, formalized the notion of, of AI as a, as a subject. Um, since then, there have been various sort of peaks and troughs, uh, if you like, an in interest in artificial intelligence, and uh, a lot of the troughs and 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 dips in 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 interest in AI have probably been because of uh, a lack of funding, and and really uh, that was associated with the fact that computing power, the kind of computing power necessary to make a lot of these um, kind of theoretical concepts a reality. It just wasn't there. Um, but we've obviously seen a huge um, progression and development of computing power um, in recent years. And, and that then has enabled a lot of these, what were uh, initially theoretical concepts uh, only, 
to become to become a reality and it's obviously a difficult thing to pin down but i think broadly um it's accepted that from about 2015 we've seen this massive change and 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 if you like a kind of uh almost exponential growth now um in in uh, ai technologies and ai research and a lot of that has come off the back of uh of competing power developments and competing power uh, and also of uh, big data you know so-called big data the availability of these massive data sets uh, that are openly available uh, there are lots of lots of reasons because of that sort of inter- internet of things social media wearable devices and so on uh, which have all become popular in the, you know in the last sort of 5 to 10 years there are a couple of concepts that you might hear talked about with AI uh, and, and ways of dividing or thinking about AI. Probably one of the more fundamental and 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 kind of uh, uh, widely discussed divisions would be between general or strong AI and narrow or weak AI. And and the general strong AI is is your is your kind of science fiction thing, really. So it's the concept of a of a of a purely electronic computer-based being robot whatever you want to call it um which in all capacities can exceed um humans and human intelligence um so you know it might be able to in the context of veterinary uh, imaging it might be able to uh perform outperform a human a veterinary radiologist at diagnosing a, you know pathology on an x-ray but it might also at the same time be able to uh you know beat gary kasparov at chess or or whatever you know it's 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 um it's advanced at everything uh you know maybe c- capable of forming complex social uh, interactions that is a very very long way away uh it is not anything close to being a reality uh and um is is really as i say uh, the realm of science fiction at the moment what is much more common and what really is the focus of all the research at the moment is uh in at least in terms of the research that's producing usable technology is narrow or weak ai so this is training a computer to do a very specific task better than human beings can uh, and that's really where we're at at the moment within the context of ai within the framework or umbrella of ai we have lots of different types of artificial intelligence and probably one that people hear more commonly discussed than others maybe is machine learning Machine learning is really just a subset of artificial intelligence, and as the name implies, it's it's essentially a set of algorithms or a, a technology by which a computer can learn from its mistakes, if you like, or learn from its experiences. So it starts out with a, a kind of minimal amount of knowledge, and then uh, and gradually can, if you like, teach itself. And they're based on artificial neural networks. So that's essentially a computer setup that is designed to mimic the um the the way that neurons within the brain work and then within the context of machine learning or artificial neural networks uh, of particular relevance to a lot of the applications in veterinary practice are deep neural networks and again a deep neural network is simply an artificial neural network that features more than one layer strictly speaking more than two layers actually three or more layers um of of if you like neurons or connections that are that are interrelated so the fundamental uh, um, concept across all of these is um, to take a, a computer and specifically an algorithm or a model operating on that computer. You supply it with some data of some kind to uh, which it uses to, to train itself uh, to learn. You then 
provide some more data to test it to make sure it's doing what you're expecting uh, and you then use that model or that algorithm that machine learning technology uh, to perform whatever function you're, you're, you've designed it to use for and all the while it then continues to improve itself as it's in use and as it runs through you know, millions and millions of cycles. Thanks Ben, that's great. I'm thinking the first experience I probably had with AI was on a basic chess computer um, and I think many of us that play online games do actually end up playing against AI systems regularly with things like Scrabble. So it's interesting to know what's going on. So what kind of applications do you think there are for AI within veterinary practice these days? Ah, very good, very good question. Um, I, I think that's that's a huge topic. Um, there are lots, I think it's probably the, 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 the sort of overarching answer. Um, you could probably divide those down a little bit into various groupings. So I think, first of all, um, you could look at diagnostics. Clearly, from our perspective, imaging would probably be one of the, the, the um, technologies or the applications that leaps to mind. And in fact, um, image recognition in general, so not just for medical or veterinary imaging, but um, you think things like uh, you think on your iPhone or your Android phone with Google Photos, you can uh, you, you, you can sort your pictures by you know, by the person that's in them based on facial recognition technology. If you go through security at the airport, you know, your, your face is kind of logged uh, for, for um, you know, for sort of crime prevention purposes and so on. Uh, so facial, facial recognition technology, obviously we've all uh, seen algorithms on uh, Facebook and so on that inundate us with videos of cats and, uh, and what have you. So um, other image recognition technologies um, uh, and then Pathology. So there would be uh, the potential um, again for uh, for application of algorithms to help diagnose disease, um, and that may be in the context of image again in image interpretation. If, for example, you were looking at um, histological or cytological slides, photos thereof, um, but then also that might be an inter in interpretation of patterns, say within lab results, blood results, or you know, bio biochemical tests, uh, and again. You, there may be applications um, for improving on uh, our, as humans, our ability to in interpret the data. Indeed, there have been some studies published that uh, perhaps spot disease um, earlier than humans can uh, looking at blood results, which uh, otherwise perhaps if looked at by a human might have been passed off as, as normal. Uh, patient monitoring. Uh, so again, wearables, we're all used to the fact that as people now, if we, you're sort of vaguely sporty, you might have some kind of uh, GPS-based watch, you know, your heart rate monitor on your wrist, uh, obviously log logging data. Uh, there are now companies uh, that, that are producing those for, for our veterinary patients as well. Uh, seeing application for cardiology, so in particular looking at um, diagnostics, um, based on ECG traces and again using uh, algorithms to assess ECG traces and see if it's possible to diagnose disease um, earlier and more accurately um, using machine learning algorithms than perhaps veterinary cardiologists might be able to do themselves. We're also seeing applications in clinical decision making so uh, for example that kind of chatbot type approach to triage, say, for um, a, a sort of early veterinary consultation, 
um, triage approach done online using machine learning algorithms, again, may just enable prioritization of, of urgent cases, for example. More widely, still within the industry, um, though perhaps more tangentially, uh, big pharma companies use uh, machine learning a lot for drug discovery and development. So again, um, as that applies to veterinary practice, uh, so so we might find that uh, those those algorithms help our patients um, through through developing new drugs. I've sort of alluded with the diagnostics uh, to the concept of disease prediction, but again, um, uh, perhaps in the broader sense, we're taking uh, uh, information from various different sources um, about a single patient and then using that kind of combining that information together um, in an attempt to predict disease. Um, again, perhaps earlier and with a greater degree of accuracy than, uh, than a human um, clinician might be able to. Another thing that, uh, that that could be a useful application in veterinary practice and certainly already is in human medicine is workflow optimization. Um, so an, an awful lot of time is spent in human hospitals and, and also in veterinary practices as well. Um, collating data, um, moving patients around hospitals, um, searching through clinical records uh, and so on. And there's work been published that look looking at um, natural language processing as applied to veterinary clinical notes, for example, um, to see if you can uh, infer diagnoses from the clinical notes, um, speed up the uh, reporting uh, workflow. Um, and again, as veterinary hospitals perhaps get larger and have greater uh, sort of throughput of patients, we may find that uh, some of the workflow optimization that's currently um, used in hospitals based on AI uh, becomes more applicable to veterinary practice as well. Uh, it's been used uh, also are uh, sort of as applied to um, uh, prognostics. So taking um, uh, predominantly clinical data, that may be history, it may be clinical signs, uh, results of imaging, results of uh, other you know, lab-based diagnostic tests, and compiling that all together to um, to try to improve the accuracy of, of uh, prognostic information compared to uh, just if a, a human is, is using that information alone. So uh, a, a, a sort of very broad um, uh, and, and, and sort of generalized list of things there, but hopefully that kind of creates the impression, if you like, that um, or makes the point that there's a very uh, large, almost frankly, endless number of things to which artificial intelligence of some description could uh, could be applied. That really does sound like a lot of potential. It's going to be fascinating to see how so many of these applications develop over the next few years. However, I presume some listeners might be wondering what advantages AI technology can have over humans in this area. Sam, could you explain that a bit more, please? Yeah, thanks, Kat. Um, certainly, AI does have a huge amount of potential, and I like to think about the advantages that AI will have over humans a bit like the advantages that a Terminator would have over a human, in that the um, the they are very efficient and quick, incredibly accurate, and they never sleep. But more seriously, 
Um, the AI has the massive potential in, in advantaging people, especially in terms of actually being able to catalogue and classify things. So something that's been quite interesting is seeing some papers recently um, in the field of diagnostic imaging, where they've looked at the use of AI for categorising and classifying lesions from radiographs. So there's been some good and interesting papers recently where they've taken AIs and they've used it to assess uh, radiographs looking for thoracic lesions such as lung patterns um, or cardiomegaly and then in these scenarios where they've tested it the um, the AI has actually been able to outperform um, the, the, the the diagnostic imagers who are also assessing these images as well so it being able to classify these lesions has a huge potential and that they'll be able to support clinicians by often possibly picking up on things that they might initially miss as well especially when we that's these can be pushed out to um, more general practice settings and um, because not everybody's going to be a diagnostic imaging specialist and you've got the advantage of this program that can potentially support a diagnosis by picking up on patterns or changes that might otherwise be easily missed. That's, that's fantastic. Thank, thanks, Sam. I, I think, um, to my mind, the, the, the kind of main takeaway here is that the possibilities of AI are are often related to, um, if you like, taking away some of that grunt work, some of the drudgery um, uh, of of veterinary practices. The same uh, applies in human medicine, um, and being able to do so without ever tiring uh, and 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 kind of fatiguing and making mistakes, um, but not necessarily replacing. I think uh, one thing that, that, that causes a lot of debate in human medicine and in particular where it comes to diagnostic imaging and radiologists, um, I, I suppose perhaps because that's where a lot of the research has focused uh, on AI in human medicine and perhaps where some of the uh, m most sort of promising results are coming at present um, is, you know, are we going to reach a scenario where the... Um, the, the, the machines, if you like, the AI algorithms, the machine learning algorithms kind of take over and push radiologists out of out of their jobs. And I think um, I, I think that's that's really not the intention. Um, I, I, I think it, it's much more useful to think of these technologies as an aid to the humans and as a way of speeding up um, pinch points, if you like, in the workflow and trying to reduce the ability, the, the, the opportunity for, for human error. Um, indeed, I, I believe I'm right in saying in that um, for hu human radiologists, something like 15% of their time is spent actually looking at medical images, uh, di you know, diagnostic imaging. The rest of their time is spent writing reports, reading other reports, maybe making measurements, whatever um and only 15 percent of their time is spent looking at diagnostic images making decisions based on what they see now that if you can take out some of the if you like the other the 85 percent of other things that they're doing by uh, improving their efficiency and taking away some of those tasks using ai and the uh, clinician can then use their expertise for even if it was 50 percent of the time rather than 15, that's a massive improvement. So I think 
I think certainly for now, that's where the, the focus is, is to take away those, uh, if you like, those tedious tasks, not to be replacing human beings. Um, Kat, uh, one, one thing that, that I suppose might come to people's minds is, oh, this all sounds great, uh, but is this actually really still the preserve of academic researchers, you know, of universities, of big, big corporate groups, or are any of these applications actually kind of in use and available uh, to, to the veterinary practice end user today as we speak? Thanks, Ben. That's a really good question. I think one thing that's going to help is the increased availability of online computer power. So anything that potentially does filter down isn't relying on a practice having a massive computer on site, which I think is a real help. And there are a number of different uses for AI already appearing within the general veterinary field. Um, thinking on the cattle side of things, that you can use an AI to much better detect whether a cows are coming into estrus by tracking their movement and their interaction with each other. Or there's other variable wearables like Majoli from Vet AI, which is actually appealing very much for owners to be using, you know, linked into a vet practice for diagnostics. But the one that's really caught my eye at the moment is the emerging use of AI for automated assessment of some X-ray images and also doing measurements. This is something that there's a really big push for within human imaging. And at the moment, it's actually easier for a lot of things to be done with AI as we are a bit more uniform in shape. So within the CT and MRI fields now, very often, once the scan's been started, the scanner itself suggests the positioning for the next scan, going off of the sort of norms that you'd work with. But in addition, one piece of technology that I was reading up on that I was very impressed with is the Metron range of software. Um, and there's Metron 8 Plus, which is an acquisition system, and then Metron Mind, the same people, which is more of a pure PACS. And these systems now are able to identify the anatomy that you've x-rayed and then offer automated positioning of markups. So for equine imaging, if you've x-rayed a foot, it will actually offer to position for you the lines for doing hoof measurements. If you've taken a thoracic radiograph, it will actually offer or has the ability to automatically position for vertebral heart scores. So making that a bit easier and the same for hip scores and also assessing stifles prior to surgery. And all of these things can be quite time consuming to do. You've got to sit there and position accurately. And if the system is giving you a great help by giving you a starting point to work from that you just tweak a little bit if you need to, I think that's something that's a real time saver. Um, as well as the systems being able to recognise the image that you've taken, rotate the image to be the correct way round and also crop to your collimation or even to the skin margins. And again, another good time saving. So I think being able to do routine measurements is going to be really helpful within a general practice. And also there's some availability now that the system will recognise the projection you've taken and actually apply region specific processing algorithms to see whether you've taken a thoracic radiograph and process that correctly or whether you've taken an abdominal radiograph and then alter the processing to best show tissues. So I think this is something that's really showing that beyond just managing your images and distributing them, PAX is going to become a lot more powerful in the future. 
So that's an area I'm going to be keen on watching and seeing how it develops going forward. Uh, that's that's really cool. And I, I mean, to my, I as an example, I used to hate doing um, hips, you know, hip score X-rays. Uh, if you can have have a, a you know a workflow where um, and and I'm sort of I'm not I'm I'm by no means old, um, but uh, I'm I'm old enough uh, that um, that when I was at vet school we were still uh, using you know using film, um, and so the, the the kind of tedium of of that kind of process and and then finding that your positioning was slightly off or or whatever, uh, and having to repeat the process was a nightmare. So the concept that you could have, you know, for example, a DR X-ray machine and 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 a sort of automated um, a uh, bit of software like that um, to speed up that workflow and, and almost completely remove the, the the degree of sort of onerousness uh, to, to that process. Um, it, I, can, I can see the appeal of that, but very much so. Um, I think also, um, I guess to my mind, it, that sort of lends itself then to perhaps either, and I think you kind of t- touched on there, Kat, with general practices, you know, maybe maybe um acting as a, a level a first layer of, of of sort of facility expertise to maybe to you know to sites um that don't that perhaps don't have access to uh more experienced clinicians and if you're thinking on a kind of global uh scale perhaps again there'll be um there'll be practices maybe in the western world that have uh you know, bigger practices maybe have specialists on site and so on. Um, you know, there may there may be parts of the world where that is um, not so readily available, um, and perhaps we're actually having some kind of support from a you know from a from a machine learning algorithm algorithm may actually be uh, may actually be be very useful. Um, I can't I can't help feeling that um, we'll see really quite quickly probably uh, more and more of these technologies being being rolled out uh, as all of the companies behind the scenes that are developing these products uh, that level leverage ai and machine learning um you know push push hard to to compete with each other and, and bring out more products uh sam broadly speaking in it kind of on on that note or in that vein what do you see as um, the future roles of AI in, in veterinary practice. Yeah, well, I, th- I think we've mentioned so so much that we can um, the, the where AI can already help in 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 improving workflow and, and speeding up processes, but it, it almost starts to become without getting too too into the realms of science fiction there's a lot you can start to to kind of imagine or consider where ai would would help um as we've mentioned from the point of view of a general practitioner you can see areas for ai to improve things in terms of maybe more complex medical diagnosis where you're trying to collate the results of of multiple different tests you can see where ai would be able to help with that and pointing practitioners in the, the the right area you can completely see how there could be roles for ai in the the the, the sort of automated interpretation of images to present results quickly and again to guide kind of diagnosis and support practitioners in that as well and and the other things you 
start to think about well where 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 could it be applied and and the answer is obviously sort of everywhere isn't it you start to think about things like well what about um, the advances in genomics and breeding you can start to see areas where potentially with um, patients very quickly we could get uh, genomic data and AI could start looking at preventative health cares tailored to the genetic um, the genetic information for that patient or are helping with kind of breeding as well a big issue at the moment is people's this discussion about brachycephalic breeds and you think we could apply AI to this and start to improve the health of a lot of animals in 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 so many ways by using that data um, to, to, to drive better kind of health and welfare. So it almost it almost starts to become hard to see an area where you couldn't apply AI to it. At the same time, I think the kind of key word is always support, isn't it? It's going to be supporting um, clinicians and it's going to be supporting with diagnosing and presenting information. As you said at the start, Ben, we're such a long way off that um, general sort of AI that can do everything. There's always going to need the, um, the 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 vet and the owner. Those interactions are going to remain, and the interactions between the vet owner and pet as well. But the the, the possibilities almost become endless as these things advance. You think uh, you think oh, it could be everything and anything. Yeah, I, I I think I think that's that's very true, and I think that's to my mind almost um, like the most exciting aspect of this whole thing because it's almost like a blank canvas if you like or you can just let your imagination virtually run you know run riot and, and roam free as to what could conceivably be achieved and i suspect that as time goes by we'll just see that the reality of all of those sort of you know um if you like kind of crazy dreams that we might all have or or, or ideas actually gradually are becoming more and more reality um, in, in everyday practice. And I, what, what appeals to me a lot is, I think, is it's that concept we talked about of removing the drudgery, you know, natural language processing of, uh, you know, looking at clinical notes, you know, harvesting and mining data from clinical notes. Who knows where that might lead? Like what, what kind of things might be discovered? What efficiencies might be made in, in practice workflows by mining clinical, you know, clinical record data? And it, it just, just, yeah, as you said, quite rightly Sam that you, you can almost kind of get lost chasing your own tail thinking too much about it once you once you start to realize the the, the potential um you yeah you, you almost think when you when you mention clinical notes there you sort of think we can't possibly be far off the situation where with other technology incorporated such as microphones and things that you couldn't have an AI, have an AI constructing clinical notes from the conversation you have with your owner and what you might see in the consulting room you kind of think there's so many things that could help to increase efficiency and and as I said you start to almost be able to kind of dream a bit more like a science fiction film is that well well where could where where could this sort of end um we, we think could it literally be animals sort of walking in into the practice and immediately um, having a technology there that is analysing things like a camera in the waiting room that analyses their gait or or their or, or looks at the body condition score because AI opens all that potential to gather that data so quickly and present it so quickly it could really improve the the amount of information available to a vet in a short space of time. Yeah, absolutely, uh, and. Uh... 
well, I, I, I find that hugely exciting. I, I, I think that's, uh, I think that's fantastic. I think, uh, I think that probably uh, just about wraps us up for our very first podcast. The only time we will be doing our podcast number one. Um, if you are interested in exploring any of the content that we've talked about further, and I appreciate we have talked about quite a lot quite quickly in, in, in a relatively short space of time today. Uh, but if you would like to explore any of it, if you found it interesting, uh, then we will put a, a load of links to, um, there's a huge number of resources out there. Uh, I'm sure there are plenty that we won't have linked to, but uh, at least if it's just a starting point to um, to whet your appetite, then that, that will all be in the show notes. If you've enjoyed the show, um, please do tell your friends, help spread the word. Um, as I say, this being our first podcast is, is something which uh, we, we want to uh, shout about. We want to get the word out there. Um, we want to try to make it as useful to anybody who's listening as we can. So again, I'll reiterate, if you have any ideas of things you would like us to discuss, people you'd like us to get on as guests, um, then please do not hesitate to get in touch. And again, our contact details will also be in the show notes. Thank you ever so much for listening. You, th This in years to come, who knows, maybe this will be one of those I was there moments when you can say <laughs> you listened to to the very first IMV Imaging podcast. Uh, thank you very much for that. Thank you for being one of our inaugural listeners. We very much look forward to having you back next next month. 